just before we start the show, I want to take an opportunity to invite you to join me for the Podfluence Weekly Newsletter, which is available both on LinkedIn and through the official newsletter channel. Now, if you are on LinkedIn and it's easier for you to follow there, then please just click on the link in the show notes, which will take you straight to Podfluence on LinkedIn, where you can subscribe for free and get weekly updates on Podfluence articles as well as episodes. If you would like to subscribe to the full newsletter where you'll get additional materials and, as my little incentive to you, my pre-podcast guest checklist for you to use when you're appearing on podcast shows so that you can be fully prepared every single time, then please click the link to the official newsletter in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Let's get on with the show. Welcome to the show. My name is Johnny Ball. This is Speaking Influence. What would it mean to you to be able to have influence and impact in your business, in your life, from a public stage or platform, live or virtual? What would it mean for you to be able to ethically persuade people in ways that would help them to improve their life, their business, their relationships, their finances, their health and whatever else that they might want help with? To be able to make a bigger difference and see people taking action on the things that you've been able to help them with through your knowledge, expertise and experience. If those are things that would matter to you and make a big difference in your life and your communication, then you have come to the right podcast. Every week, we speak with guests who range from successful authors and entrepreneurs, secret service members, psychologists, marketing and branding experts, some professional comedians, world champions in public speaking, professional storytellers, former cult members, neuroscientists, voice coaches, professional stylists, political speech writers, public speaking and body language experts. Every episode takes our guest knowledge and experience and turns it into actionable information that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how the world of influence and persuasion works and to put into practice becoming a better wielder of the weapons of ethical influence and persuasion in your life and your business, leaving each of us a little bit smarter and better off than before. This week, I have an incredible guest. The theme of the show is talking about turning conflict into an opportunity for persuasion, which I was so intrigued by, and I had no idea how much fun this conversation was going to be. My guest is Alyssa Lansdale. She has a former career as a TV weather presenter in Canada, as well as some other media gigs before as a presenter of home renovation shows and things like that. But she is now teaching communication skills and helping people to really step their game up in being amazing storytellers and creating authentic connections with people. I know you're going to love this conversation as much as I do. So all that remains for me to say is enjoy the show. Welcome to Speaking Influence, the show that helps you to master the psychology and application of ethical influence and persuasion in life and business with persuasive presentations and podcasting coach, Johnny Ball. If you're a coach, speaker, or course creator and would like to have a simple online ecosystem for your business where you can create funnels, build an integrated website, sell and host courses and live programs, build your list with lead magnets, manage your sales, create communities, and so much more in a way that is affordable and fully supported, you'll love New Zendler. You can try everything out for free. And if you love it, you can register for monthly or discounted annual billing. It's more cost-effective than most other similar platforms. 
don't pay for a multitude of services you have to then link up manually. Get an online solution that does everything you need in one place. Find the link in the show notes and try New Zendler as the all-in-one solution for your business today. Welcome to Speaking Influence. As we get things started today, this show is going to be talking about influence from a somewhat different perspective to how many of my guests are able to talk about it, because TV in itself brings a lot of influence, and influence brings a lot of power for persuasion. Now, for someone who has been acting and also been presenting on TV and has a lot of experience in that department, we are privileged to be in the presence of a guest who is also going to talk to us about rhetoric, storytelling, and how to turn a conflict into an opportunity to persuade. So this is going to be a really fascinating conversation. So a welcome to the show, Elisa Lansdell. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. And this is really something I'm, I'd love to talk about. All of what you just mentioned, Johnny. So <laughs> let's have at it. We're going, we're <laughs> going to have some fun today. Now, I did warn you that I ask a slightly curveball question as we get started. So I'm going to ask you this. If you could, for just one hour or one day, be any animal in the world, which animal would you choose and why? I suppose I would be an elephant. First of all, because an elephant is my favorite animal in the entire universe, because of their majesty, because of the space they take up. I'm a big fan of taking up space <laughs> as a communicator <laughs> and as a woman. And this is sort of a physical manifestation of that. They're just such incredibly beautiful animals. And I don't know what I, I watched something the other day. I don't know if it was a movie or a television show. And somebody said, nobody hate, nobody doesn't like, everybody loves elephants. And I thought that's true isn't it? I don't know anybody who says, oh man, I hate those elephants. I, I hope nobody does. Then they certainly wouldn't be our kind of people. <laughs> no, right? they would be terrible people. <laughs> I don't want to know those people. I just want to be an elephant. So there's your answer. Yeah, yeah. But there is a part of me that thinks I, I wouldn't mind being a dog for a day just to actually find fetching a ball being fun. Yeah, Because <laughs> so, I, I think it's such a simple life. It is a simple, lovely life. I want to be my dog for a day, actually, because I was saying that the other day. This guy, I work my days around his uh, play dates at the dog park. He's, right. he's the happiest creature ever because he gets everything he wants and chases a ball for fun. Yeah, It yeah. doesn't have to pay bills. You're right. But really, I want to be one of those flying wombats. Have you ever seen them? <laughs> it, just, it just looks like so much fun. It does. So I, I would spend an hour or a day doing that, just flying around as a wombat. I like that and, too. and that would be entertaining. There that would be a lot of fun, actually. I don't hmm. know what that reveals about me. No, I, well, any, it reveals a lot of good things, I think. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> any, psych <laughs> any psychologist can tell us in the <laughs> yeah, chat box, exactly. perhaps. Please. So, so great. A bit, a bit of fun to get things started and some nice answers. I like them as well. But let's get started by giving you the opportunity to tell us a bit more about yourself, because you have a very interesting background in media, uh, which I think is super important to talk about, something I don't often get the chance to talk with guests about on the show, because not too many uh -huh. people have that background. So please tell us a bit more about your experience and, and your history with media. Yes. Well, I mean, I am a communications professional right now, working with uh, corporate clients, well, clients of every walk of life, really. and. Yes, back in my media days, that actually, I had no idea at the time, but that really prepared me very well for this 
for this position that I have now, for this company that I've started now. I worked, I began my work as a quote unquote weather girl, such a sexist term now, but that's what I was back in the late 90s in Canada, Canada's Weather Network. I was there for a brief time before I got my first job as a reporter. So I worked for a few years in Ottawa, the nation's capital, as a weather girl, as an entertainment reporter, an anchor a breakfast show host. What else? I did the new news. So it was one of those wonderful opportunities where you're doing everything just because of budget restrictions. So I I learned on my feet there for a few years, came back, worked at country music television for about 11 years. Didn't know anything about country music television before I began that, but I did a little live work there as well as red carpet specials. Uh, And I've also hosted a bunch of home reno competition reality Oh, slash, slash, slash shows. Yes, that yeah. was fun. And that actually fueled my love for home decor, which has not waned. So I continue <laughs> to do that, but I don't continue to do a lot in terms of on-camera work. I mean, you and I both know media, that the concept of media has really changed. And so I've changed along with it. I certainly, yes, I have my own YouTube channel, but that's my joke, you know, unless you want to have your own YouTube channel and be an influencer as my teenage daughter would say that uh, good luck being a t uh, making it big in broadcasting because even the word broadcasting seems a bit antiquated now doesn't it it does yeah it does and though it's kind of sure i was speaking to somebody recently uh, a wonderful person called whitney lawrenson and and she's perhaps known as being an influencer but she would not definitely does not like being called that because there's so much negative association with that and yet yeah. influencing and being in that kind of position where you can be an influencer is, or at least can be, and perhaps should be a really positive thing. And and I wonder if we can come up with a better, a better phrase for a better term for it that perhaps discusses the or associates to the more positive aspects of that. Because, Absolutely, yeah. you know that's something that I talk with clients about all the time. These words that are seemingly positive, words matter. When we use a word like that, we have negative connotations. You're absolutely right. We need to change the language then. Somebody, I, I'm not going to do it in this moment. You and I can probably not figure it out ourselves, but it's a, it's a great <laughs> idea because you're right. The concept in its rawest form is wonderful. Someone who can influence. And actually, I use that word a lot in my work with leaders. Uh, you know, the, the whole to me, the definition of leadership really is the ability to influence and inspire audiences to act positively. That's my yeah. definition. So, yeah, influence to me is something positive but when you say influencer it's uh, it becomes something different <laughs> right and influence ultimately comes from status becomes from your following or, or what people know you for or about so if you are on tv regularly if you are appearing in things as a presenter as an actor then people are going to know you for that and, and recognize you and perhaps they, those are things that automatically give you some sense of credibility but again in the business world uh, it's the same kind of thing. You have to get to certain levels of influence to have certain levels of persuasion as well. So it's the higher up you are, the more persuasive you're going to be because people will automatically assume it's like the Cialdini principle, isn't it? Of, yes. of status, of authority. We, we, yes. we see to authority. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and yeah, that, the, it's all about building relationships is what I was going to say. And this is how we get to those senior levels. So I always say you're either building relationships, maintaining relationships or eroding relationships. So those who are influencing others are constantly building those relationships and strengthening them. 
But isn't that interesting? Because so many people would think it's, uh, and probably do think that it's not about that. It's about, it's all about them and growing their ego and their cult of personality kind of thing. It's true. And those people, I mean, we've known of some world leaders in the recent past <laughs> who have do. done just that. But I've always said <laughs> yeah. they, that, that evil never wins. I always say, use your superpowers for good when you're learning these skills. Because, yeah, that, which is why I add positive action to the end of my definition of leadership. It really is a, about making things better, I believe. And I think that if we make it all about our audience, everybody wins. That's another principle that I'm always, always talking about with my clients. Don't worry about you and your ego, especially if you're nervous to present or you're nervous to communicate something. Once you start making it about your audience, everybody wins. You relax because now it's a conversation. You're in a different, you're not in your own little nervous headspace. You're thinking about what your audience needs, what they need to yeah. hear, what they need to get from you. And uh, it's, it, it sounds altruistic, but it's also very self-serving in the end anyway. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think you, you come from a, a great background to be able to set yourself up to come into working communication. I had the, the pleasure of working at an event, say working, I was kind of coaching, teaching at this event. And one of the people that was teaching public speaking skills and presentation skills, and, and one of the people who was there to learn was Renee O'Connor, who mm-hmm. played Gabrielle in Xena Warrior Princess. That's right. what people would probably know her from. Mm-hmm. And that she is doing so much now, probably that people don't hear quite so much about, but very active in speaking and helping and making a difference. And, and some people do really come from that background and are able to transform it into something else. And it is, it is a transformation because they're not the same thing. Yeah. So I'm curious, from your experience, what are the things from that background that have helped you, that have been like tools and things that have helped you to make that transition and are still useful to you now? Yeah, from my broadcast career, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. I would say really the idea of connecting, of human connection. I, I, I have put a lot of thought into this because it was always this sort of nebulous references I would make to my television career, but I realized it all comes down to human connection. And I remember somebody that, well, actually my first supervisor that I worked with in uh, country music television, on country music television, who came in and said to me, talk to the camera like it's your sister. I said, I don't have a sister, but I get your point. You know, it really is about making a human connection through a lens, which is what I'm doing with clients right now as we struggle in this virtual world to to, I I hate to keep saying maintain human connection, but that's exactly what it always is. And some of that has been lost through Zoom fatigue. And so it's all the more important to, to think of someone in your mind's eye, think of your audience, at least one member of your audience or one member of your audience at a time. And that's how I believe became very successful in my work. I remember people meeting me in person. When you were on the local news, you are the local celebrity. 20 years later, I go to Ottawa and people say, oh, I know you, which is really fun because not because of anything egotistical, but because, yeah, I was in your living room. I talked to you, not at you. And people would always say to me and still do, you are exactly the same in person as you are on camera, which is lovely. I mean, I don't aspire to be the most perfect polished professional otherwise my hair would look better right now but i do i do believe in you know i i first of all i believe perfection is highly overrated and it's boring and i believe that we need to show ourselves we need to be authentic and we need to be vulnerable and all of those things i was now I, my work in news itself was very minimal 
when you are a news anchor, that's a whole other story. You mm. have a certain set of parameters. But for me, being the roving weather reporter and entertainment reporter and then lifestyle and breakfast television host, I was able to just be me and use my sense of humor. And, you know, I, I never did any branding work, which I now do with my clients. But essentially, I built my brand and it was a very authentic, real, organic, whatever you want to call it, brand. You know, someone who uses humor, someone who is, I don't even know if I'd say humble. I used to be self-effacing. I've shifted that a bit and I would recommend other people do as well if they want to be seen seriously. But all of those things I've carried with me into my work. And when I moved into corporate communications, that was not easy. And it's not going to be easy for everybody to do that in terms of making that human connection, because like I said, it's vulnerable, depending on the environment you're in, can be unusual. I have a client who says, well, in my organization, everything is very strictly, you know, professional, and you're not allowed to yeah. reveal anything personal. And I said, well, you know, courage is another tenet of leadership that we might want to consider. Be courageous enough to be yourself. And when I started to do that and bring my own personality and authenticity into my corporate work, that's when I started to become successful and only then. So that's what yeah. I'd recommend to people. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely love that as well. What was it for you that triggered that transition and made, make you start to think, oh, yeah, I think I could be good at that. And that's something I'd like to do. Yeah, well, it was, I wish I could say I chose it all along. I had it plotted on a map and I did it perfectly and I hit all my my goals exactly as planned. No, it was conflict that brought me here. It was an upset that was sort of thrust upon me. I can tell you, I'm going to, because I'm a big storyteller. I'll try to keep this story short. But essentially, I was thrust into the corporate communications world when I lost a show that I was working on. Well, I lost my job, essentially. I was always freelance, but I had worked for country music television for many years, never told the story publicly. Uh, and I was getting jobs left, right and center in on the side. I did the home reno shows on the side. And my boss always said, what's good for you is good for the network, which was wonderful. So I did commercials and I hosted other shows and I would go to Calgary and shoot for a month. I'm getting to a point here to answer your question. And uh, so I was asked to do another home reno show. And I said, but I'd already committed to doing this one show. And they said, yeah, but it's for the same parent company. You really need to take it. And I said, but I've already said yes to this other one. And they said, you have to take this job or you're done with us at this network. And I said, well, I guess I've got to say no then. So I went and did the show that I had committed to. That show got canceled. The other show went on to great success. I don't know if you've ever heard about the Property Brothers. Yes. <laughs> yes, <sorry>. Johnny. Yes. <laughs> and for years, imagine seeing your biggest, what you think at the time is your biggest career mistake plastered on the cover of People and everything. Every time I see them, I now get a, gi a giggle. So my my the moral of this story in the end is things like this happen for a reason. You need to embrace this kind of change. So I, I ended up from go going from in demand to not having a job in television and just being thrust into this work in corporate communications. A friend of a friend said, you should do this. And I was angry. I was sad. Everything that I thought I had built, I thought I had lost. And so this is what I mean when I say through conflict comes opportunity. So mm -hmm. when I stopped fighting it and said, okay, this has come along for a reason. How can I take what I've learned in this previous life and previous career, which I hope isn't over, and apply it to what I'm doing now? I, I figured that out. I figured out how to do it. I thought if they don't like it, 
they can fire me. <laughs> you know, I will. I need to be able to wear this material that I am conveying to my audience, the stuff that I'm teaching. I need to be able to wear it like a suit and or wear it like my own old pair of jeans is probably the better analogy here. And so I did. I started to use my humor. I started to use references from my own experience in television. And I found that people grasped onto that and were able to apply it to their own lives. Probably because I'm passionate. I use what I was passionate about. And that's another secret, I would say, is to be able to channel your passion, even if what you're doing you think is totally boring. Find that thing that lights you on fire and see how it applies in this case. And if it doesn't, maybe consider moving to a, a career or an endeavor that, that, that does light a fire for you. And that's what I do. I, I feel like I have to ask, if you could go back knowing what you know now, would you choose the same thing again? I would. I would choose exactly what I did. And I can only probably, I would say since maybe since the pandemic started and I launched my own business, how can I say that? If you had yeah. asked me just prior to the pandemic, would you go back and do it all over again exactly the same? I would say, no, I would have, oh, I would have taken the property, brothers. I would have taken that job. Who knows? I may have messed up that show and maybe these guys wouldn't even be famous and we'd all be on the street. Who knows what would have happened? But I'm not interested in finding out now, even if I had a time machine, because I am where I need to be. And I finally feel as though my worlds are fitting together in a really wonderful way. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I, I kind of got asked or in a group that I'm in, the, the question was asked about like most memorable moments as an entrepreneur. And I say, like, oh, it's people saying all oh, these wonderful experiences. Someone's talking about a TEDx talk and stuff like that. And I say, My, mine isn't so good. My, mine is like crashing and burning my first time out the gate, that sort of thing, because I didn't know what I was doing and right. didn't get the help that I really needed and should have asked for. And so many things and really falling flat on my face. But that whole story, that whole experience, I have told numerous times now and the lessons that I've learned from it to a point where, you know, although it's a long time ago now, I still wouldn't change it, even though it was horrible at the time. Yes. It really yes. was bad. So much good has come from that and so many valuable learnings from that. And also a story that has people have told me has been inspiring to them. And it's kind of say, yeah, we need to hear these real stories of when things have really sucked and you've come through it and, That's it, and come totally. out the other side of that. And, and it's, yeah. it's it's amazing how important this. But we do, I think we do always need to get to a point in life where we first say, look, it is down, always down to us to make the very best of whatever decisions we make and whatever outcomes we find ourselves in to a point where we should be able to get, hopefully find ourselves in a position where we can look back and say, I would not change it. This is exactly where I want to be. And, and I think it rests on us. Absolutely. So much of what you're saying resonates with me on so many levels, especially the idea that we we get to the successes we get to, not in spite of these conflicts, but because of them, right? right? As you say, these are valuable learnings that you can't read in a book. Someone could tell you and you'd nod, but you wouldn't really believe it until you've experienced that, until you've, as you said, fallen flat on your face. Yeah, yeah. And that, it's taken was, me uh... till I was 40 something to figure that out. That, so. that was a time when I still believed that failure was the opposite of success. Right. And I don't, I don't believe that anymore. Failure no. is a part of the road to success. It's, it's a critical part of the road to success. I truly believe that. 
And I think, yeah. I don't know if it's generational. I think of how I was raised. I was raised based on, you know, I love my parents. They're lovely people. They raised me very well. However, it, there was this whole, don't do that because. So making decisions based on fear of failure. You can't do that because this bad thing might happen. Oh my gosh, don't rock the boat because this bad thing might happen. And I'm encouraging my daughter now. And even my parents, we're all learning from each other now. And I'm saying, you know, it's not the worst thing to to fail because failure is is the path to learning. And yeah. if it feels bad, it probably means you, you had to go through it <laughs> and you're going to transform from it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what, one great thing that I, I would imagine you brought with you from your broadcasting background to what you do now is, is some level of confidence to be able to get up and just speak in front of people right. and not feel self-conscious about it and, and things like that as well, which, which is super important. It makes a huge difference to how you can present and talk and relate to people. It's true. Although I don't want to give the wrong impression. I do have nerves. And the day I stop getting nervous is the day I need to retire. It's, it's another one of my famous sayings because nervousness to me is excitement without breath. I work with clients on that. Add breath to your nerves and it comes across as confidence. It's yeah. And it is, in essence, a, a form of confidence. But really, I... I I have never felt completely at ease. Even when I'm doing well and things are feeling good, I do have that, I don't know if you want to call it anxiety. It probably has its roots in anxiety. Um, it's really because I care. I care about the audience. I care about how they're experiencing things. I care about the outcome for them and, of course, for me. So, yeah. And there is that self-critical voice, but one of the other paths to confidence, as you called it, um, is really to challenge that voice in your head that says, oh my gosh, you sound like an idiot. Oh my gosh, you're going to, they're not going to like you. Oh my, it's what I call the crow. Actually, I don't, I borrowed it from trying to remember the author. I'll see if I can credit her in a moment, but it's this voice that's always telling you, you're not good enough. You're not, you know, and, and we as a species listen to that voice a lot more than we should. We as a species are terrified of public speaking. We'll return to the show in just a few moments. Do you have an important message to share, but you're not sure how to put it all together? Well, that, dear friends, is called building your brand. And it involves a lot more than just a logo, a photo, a tagline, or a business card. It's your story. Brandface helps people just like us to build a brand that expresses how we're different from everyone else and helps us to attract the exact audience that we want. No wasteful targeting or marketing. You can learn more at howbrandfaceworks.com. That's howbrandfaceworks.com. Find the link in the show notes now. Back to the show. In fact, did you know that it is the number one fear that people have, even ahead of death? It, it's been rated that that yeah. way, although although having looked at some, I, I did actually check this out. Yeah. <laughs> in some surveys, it has come up as the number one fear, mm -hmm. although killer clowns and spiders <laughs> are, are still. <laughs> as they should be. Yeah, are, are still yeah. are still way up there as well, <laughs> and so worldwide, you no, know, there's more things like that that, that are fear. But the, but the fear is real for many people, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and this is this is something that comes up sometimes on the show as well, and I think it is always important to address. And I don't think we can ever recap it too many times because you know I don't know how many shows people listen to. This could be their one and only. But that the whole thing of the fear of speaking is often usually just a fear of failure or a fear of falling short yes that it's going to tell you that you're not good enough mm -hmm. and that you you need to do better or that, that people are going to think less of you because you messed up or because you didn't do so good or because you you weren't confident or whatever especially in professional situations yeah. where you are have to get up in front of your peers and 
superiors and the likes that uh, if you look anything less than confident and competent and you're able to deliver with some sort of panache, hopefully, that uh, that people will look down on you and perhaps that could even be career damaging. Yes. And the fear is real. And certainly if you look less than confident or seem, (sighs) there are many words that come to mind, whether it's just stressed or unsure. Being uncertain is not what I would advise. That said, I really am all about authenticity. I mean, no one's going to beat you up if you say, okay, uh, you know what? I, I don't know. Unless you really, really, really should know. And it's at the very core of what you do for a living to say, I don't know, or that's, um, or I've forgotten my thought. I could do this at some point during this podcast. Give me a moment. I've had a little brain meltdown. Let me think. Okay. Or you know what? I failed at this. So again, if we are authentic and forthcoming um, to a degree, to an appropriate degree, I think Mm -hmm. this, you know, no one's going to beat you up for it. I think we, if we extended ourselves the same courtesy we do to those we listen to, you know, that we follow, the world would be a much better place. If we're in the audience, we give people the grace if they're taking a moment or they admit to making a mistake. We actually think that it shows well on them. Like, wow, that's what I want. I want a leader who can tell me they made a mistake and that they need to fix it rather than someone who, who BSs me in a, in a polished you know, way with charisma. So I think this is what we, we need to turn that, that lens toward ourselves and give that kind of grace to ourselves. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do think it's okay to say I don't know. Mm-hmm. But so many people see that as a sign of weakness, like, oh, I'm supposed to know. Problem, I think, is generally making excuses for not knowing. That's yes. where it starts to become an issue. Yes. It's like, oh well, you know, I I would have, but or I I should know this, or it's just like it's okay to say I don't know, mm-hmm. or say I will find that out. Yes. Um, I can't answer that right now, or I don't have enough information exactly. to answer that question right now. Mm-hmm. But those things are all okay to say. But people mm-hmm. have this fear in their head of being able to say those words, yes. and then. All sorts of other horrendous stuff comes out. It's true. Exactly. In our quest for perfection, we end up becoming highly imperfect in not the best way. And again, (laughs) I always like to say it's about connection, not perfection. So again, if you are connecting on an authentic level to people, with people, you can't lose or you can very, very rarely lose. And I would Mm. use this as an opportunity to follow that up by saying, sharing facts and all the facts and having all the facts That's okay, but it's really about sharing what's in here, your conviction, your beliefs, what you believe in. And when we do that, and when we lead with those kinds of statements, we are inspiring. And this fear of not knowing everything is really, look, we all have these magic devices that can get us any amount of information at any given time. So information as a commodity is not as big as it was, let's say, when I started off in the workforce, where the more you knew, the higher up you went in your company's corporate hierarchy. We don't even, we have a flattening of the hierarchy now in many cases. And maybe that's why it's more about ideas. And the more we can share those ideas and you can't be wrong about what you believe. It's your belief, right? So knowing who your audience is and keeping that in mind, sharing a belief that is compelling to them is the way to reach hearts and minds. Yeah. And yeah. there's a whole school of thought now that uh, I think is growing. Uh, and I think this is a good thing uh, that because we no longer do need to hold so much data, in fact, in our brains, we have these memory extensions, these data yeah. extensions, if you like, that we carry around with us. Yeah. 
that it's more important now to be focusing on being able to ask better questions, to be able to focus on exploring our curiosity and thinking about things in, in new and different ways, rather than focusing on filling our heads with facts and data. There was obviously some levels that we need to know. We need to have that grounding of knowledge to build that stuff on. But, uh, but yeah, it's oh, uh, totally. a much more powerful way of thinking and, and hopefully where we're heading. Yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely. And you said the magic word to me, which is curiosity. I am, I mean, I could write a book on curiosity. Just be curious. Like, that's it. When you are curious, you are an active listener, which is a huge skill of leaders and great communicators, right? You ask the right questions. I know this from my journalist career. You ask the right questions and whole new worlds can crop up. Speaking of which, here is a fabulous quick technique any of your viewers and listeners can use. It's what right. I like to call the double click. So somebody says something to you, all you need to do is repeat. So you might say, I don't know, I went for a walk in the park yesterday. I'd say the park. The You went to the park and you would probably expand on that and tell me more about it. I might end up finding a lot more about you and about what you do than if you had just spewed a bunch of facts and I had written them down or I had, a, you know, it's curiosity gets us everywhere. And I had to learn this the hard way by having my set list of questions in my journalist career early in my career and checking them off versus putting them aside and having a conversation and double clicking on those things. Wait a minute, back up. Did you say X? Tell me more about X. And with authentic, I mean, it needs to be authentic curiosity. Otherwise, it becomes an improv exercise, which is fun, <laughs> you know, but doesn't really get yeah. you anywhere. So, yeah I, yeah, I think that that is really the key to change making, to leadership, to all the things that, that we really seek is, is simply being curious. There's a lot of power to reflecting people's own words back at them oh. as well. And not all of them, but just some of their own words back at them mm -hmm. that uh, firstly tells them that you, you are really listening, but also. Is a cue, like I say, it's a cue for them to expand on that and is often used as a negotiation technique and in other yes. aspects as well. So I recommend anyone to play with that in any part of your life. It's probably going to improve your communication. A hundred percent. Yes. And then we'll all great become great investigators too, if we want a side career. Fantastic. Yeah. That's a great tip to share. I appreciate that. Yeah. One of the things that I want to get to is uh, and talk about curiosity. <laughs> yes. I have some curiosity about you mentioning storytelling mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's talk about you were doing some level of that in your broadcasting and journalism career, but now you have a bit of a different take, I would imagine, on storytelling and use it perhaps a little bit differently. So yes. tell us a bit about what you use storytelling, how you use it, and maybe why you use it now. Yeah, I mean, you use storytelling every time you want to make a connection with someone, I would say. And we do this all the time, obviously, and our, our brains are hardwired to want to listen to stories. This is why the movie industry is so big. This is why Netflix is so huge. This is why we read books. This is why children love to hear stories. We know this, right? And in my work uh, as a reporter, of course, I would file two or three stories a day sometimes. They needed to have a beginning, a middle, and an end. So yeah, I, I'd filed that away when I began my corporate career. And then I finally made that connection and thought, you know, let's take a more intentional approach to storytelling. We do it all the time. Sometimes we don't do it so well. If we're not intentional about it, you might tell this uh, a, a big long story about how you're, you're way into the office this morning and people may or may not be listening. But when we take an intentional approach to storytelling and we really get 
structured with how we tell it, we have this amazing opportunity to get buy-in even before we ask for buy-in, right? So I basically, I would say, start with the point you want to make to your audience. What is your message, essentially? We, we always use that word message. And then you can backtrack. You can reverse engineer a story by asking yourself, what experience do I have that led me to believe this? So if I'm really convinced that we need to take more time off the top to review this proposal before we hit go, why do I believe that? Oh, yeah, I had this cautionary tale I want to share about when I proceeded too quickly and everything fell apart. And I could tell that story in two or three sentences. And the moral of the story is my message to you. So this can be done very quickly. The more you do it, the easier it gets. Again, because we tell lots of stories without even knowing it. Again, this is a more structured way of doing it. So what's your setting? Who was there and where? What happened? What's the complication? What's the resolution? And what's the moral, which is your message? Done. And this, uh, I find people at all levels in, in any position, any client I've worked with has been able to do this very effectively. Yeah. The art of being able to weave stories like that into your conversation and your professional conversations, especially is masterful. I would say when you get to doing it well. Yes. And the funny thing is everybody thinks they're a terrible storyteller. Most people do. If I say, are you, are you a good storyteller? Oh no, no, no. You know, they might think of this great leader that they listened to or watched or a public speaker, a politician. Oh, well, they're good at, they're just good storytellers. I'm a terrible storyteller. Maybe, maybe you are, uh, but it, it doesn't take any great magic to become a great storyteller. So those CEOs who weave a tale that seem to be just off the cuff, that's not off the cuff. That is carefully crafted. They have considered their audience. You know, maybe they've written it, maybe somebody's written it for them, but the best stories come from here and from here. That's what yeah. I love about it. There's this endless reserve of stories that we have. We don't need to go to our magic rectangles. We don't need to ask anybody or consult anybody. These stories are our own and they form our beliefs. And if we want to inspire and influence people, we got to share those beliefs in a way that is really compelling to them. And storytelling, there's no better, quicker way than storytelling, I would say, to share that. Yeah. And I think one of, one of the reasons, perhaps, and maybe you'll agree, is, is that there's a de- there's a degree to which storytelling can bypass conscious resistance, you know, that yeah. critical factor part of the brain. Whereas if you're just presenting data and hard hard fact information, yes. that the critical faculty can reject it, right? And that conflicts with my current existing beliefs or, exactly. uh, or I'm really not sure about that. Yes. Whereas when it's wrapped in a story, you're on a journey, you're on a journey with the person. We can generally associate ourselves into other people's stories or at least start that imaginary process of them. And so in doing that, we've already, to some degree, bypassed the critical faculty that might reject it and we're already in the story. That's it. Exactly. I like the word bypass. That's exactly what it does. And in fact, there's a book that addresses that. It's Pitch Anything, I think it's called. And he talks about the crocodile brain and how it perceives things differently and how we want to appeal to that. And this is how we do it. This is one of the ways, one of the the biggest ways to do that is storytelling. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting to, to think, so I think a lot of people would think that it's not something that you would generally bring to a corporate environment. And yet it's still very important. And you look at some of the top business speakers, the top 
business leaders, when they talk, they use stories, even if they're not great at storytelling, they still use them 100%. and uh, <laughs> they get better at it. So it is an important part. 100%. Yeah. I was lucky enough recently to have on my 100th show for the podcast. Oh. Thank you. A professor of rhetoric, mm -hmm. uh, Dan, Dan French, really cool guy, very interesting. And, and I know that we had, when we had a chat before, there's something that, that came up as talking about this and something that I want to generally address a bit more in this now third season of this show. And so I wanted to ask you where, where that features for you. Where does rhetoric feature for you in the work you do now? Well, it's a, this is a really nice time to talk about that because not that I can be, it, you said it was, it was Dan, what was his name? I cannot be as... Dan French. Yes, Dan French. I am not going to profess to be as astute in the matters of rhetoric as he is, though I do have an English degree. So let's, let's just say that. <laughs> but yeah, I believe that really it is all about storytelling. When we storytell, we can use these rhetorical devices and we naturally use them all the time. Again, it's about becoming more intentional with them. So metaphor, simile. Yeah, we think maybe some of us, this brings us back uncomfortably to our English days, English class <laughs> in university or in, in right. high school. We don't have to worry about that. It's nobody's grading you on this. It really just is like, what is this like? What does this remind you of? We so that's the simile piece. The metaphor, I mean, how many times a day do we use metaphor? Probably doing this podcast, we've, uh, if you rewound, boy, that dates me. If you rewound us right now, we would have maybe, I don't know, a couple of dozen. So it really is about when you say channeling, for example, that is metaphor right there. So again, it can be very powerful because imagery is powerful. I'm one of those people, and I know I'm not alone, who thinks very visually. So if you try to get the, a complex idea across to me using a metaphor or a simile, I'm much more likely to get it, and I'm much more likely to retain it than mm. if you had just said, well, this is how it's working, and you give me the numbers and the stats, and that that's boring, and we are completely inundated with that kind of stuff these days. So we really want to use the metaphor and, and also parallel structure which we, we use, I've had clients use this without even knowing they're using it. So what do I mean by parallel structure? It's the repetition. It's hitting that repetition. Barack Obama's a genius at it. That's sort of, we can do this. We can do that. Or we can do antithesis. So it was the best of times. It was the worst of times as an example of, and there's a rhythm to that. Another thing yeah. that lights up different parts of our brains is when we speak in rhythm. This is why we remember song lyrics so easily so readily, right? So we can do this and people say, oh, but come on, how am I going to do this in my quarterly meeting? You'd be surprised, right? Look for those opportunities. And the more you look for them and intentionally script them, the more they will come to mind just organically as you're having conversations. Yeah. yeah. And so many of the devices in rhetorical speaking, hypnotic, and, and are used in hypnosis as well. Mm -hmm. you have to think, well, there's good reason for that. There are parallels. There are things that, that cross over. There, there is that. We said about bypassing with, with uh, stories before, but some of these things as well bypass some conscious resistance or pull us in more. Uh, and we don't always necessarily realize why, but um, it tends to be just the case that it's only really if they're overused and you start to become a bit more conscious of them thinking, oh, hang on, keep doing that. <laughs> yes. We start to come out of the trance a bit, as it were. So, you know, I think getting practiced and polished with these things is essential. Yeah. But for anyone who has a message to share or anyone who has something that 
they have their mission, their vision, their purpose. If you don't know this stuff, it's more likely that other people are using it on you. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. You're being hypnotized and you don't know it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think you make a good point. As soon as people can identify a pattern, they're out. They're bored. So yeah. I, you don't want to overuse it. And But this also applies not just to rhetorical devices. It also applies to vocal expression. It applies yeah. to, so if I might be using the same series of notes, which is what some of my clients do as they're reading a script that they've got on their screen and they think they're being so sneaky putting it on their screen. But again, as soon as your audience identifies that, or if it's a monotone and they identify monotone, they tune out. So we need, as humans, we crave variety. And uh, so yes, use these devices, use them sparingly. The second people, and, and we can actively listen to see the second people hone in on that, right? You can see eyes yeah. go dead or look away. or And, and that's a huge uh, part of influencing and inspiring people is no is being able to just shut up and listen <laughs> which is what i'm going to do right <laughs> I, now yeah i loved i loved your demonstration there you did that very well and <laughs> i think it, you, you've done that before <laughs> yes, uh, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was it was very good and it highlighted a point something that i, I haven't talked about for, for a, a long time i think but i often notice especially watching because uh, i watch still watch some things from british television even though i don't live in the uk anymore but you sometimes see this with people presenting they, they go into this, what I call presenter voice, mm. but it's not a good presenter, presenter voice. Right. It's like, I'm presenting now. Yeah. And yeah, so it, it's almost shouting. It's like, he's talking at you. It's not really talking to you. And, and there's this big difference and everything gets a bit over-exaggerated and the intonation's kind of in the wrong place because you know that that's, I, I feel that it's just because they see and hear other people do this. Yes. And copy that. Yes. And people have to, and this applies to the business world as well, where people say, well, well, but they do it that way. They say it that they use these big words and jargon. So, you know, that's our CEO. So are you saying he or she is wrong? And I, well, in a word, yes. So it's really just because somebody else is doing it doesn't mean you should be as well. So really, it's almost this <laughs> emperor's new clothes phenomenon where we all sit <laughs> yeah, around yeah. and nod and smile, even though we don't know what they're saying and we're not inspired by what they're saying. And there's, yeah. that's probably speaks to what you talked about in terms of the hierarchical structure and the fact that we give people credibility because of their position. However, if we really want to inspire people, yeah, we have to do away with that. And I mean, I'm, I began my career at a time 20 some years ago when this is how we spoke. I had to take the announcer out of my voice. And I recently found myself on YouTube from the 90s and it was horrifying because, yeah, I had that kind of, I read like a, an announcer would because that's what everybody did. And I've spent years stripping that away and finding my own voice. And I work yeah. with clients a lot in finding their own voice, like literally and figuratively. Yeah. You know, there, there are going to be listeners now who are going to be Googling they're that Googling, to get the yeah, comparison. They're <laughs> Thank goodness most of the stupid things I did were long before YouTube. But every now and then somebody posts an old an old piece. <laughs> uh, yeah, I invited that. Oops. I, I'm very glad that the first video that I ever put out on YouTube, actually, maybe I'm not, I, I, I deleted it. Uh, but that was because I ended up getting trolled really badly <laughs> for it. <laughs> and it was a long time ago. This is like early day, days when you could put a YouTube video up and you would get comments on it. Right. Um, because not so many people were. Now you can put a YouTube video up and it can be ignored for years. Yeah. You know? 
<laughs> it's true. Uh, yes, thank goodness, yeah, right? Shoo. A very different time. Yeah. But uh, but yes, some people say to me, oh, you should have left it up there. And it's like, if I do find it, maybe I will, because yeah. it's terrible. Right. It was really terrible. And we have to have the courage to share that, right? I want, I mean, I don't like to hang, I'm not a fan of hanging one's dirty laundry out on social media, etc. But I do believe in presenting my whole self as much yeah. as I humanly can. Because that's yeah. it's not inspiring when you are this polished, hyper-polished version of your actual self. I think we can learn a lot from ourselves and from each other by laughing at ourselves and by acknowledging the less people, than perfect pieces. Yeah, People should be able to see an evolution, though, in yes. their development. Yes, we hope know? so. Yes, that's true, too. If you look back and go, oh, yeah, <laughs> that could have been me <laughs> yesterday, then maybe we got a problem. Yeah, true. So. I want to circle back whilst we just keeping an eye on time here. I want to circle back to the conflict as an opportunity to persuade, because you said about some of your crew opportunities really were created from conflict, but I think a lot of people would really say, well, how does conflict create an opportunity for persuasion Yes, when it really is like sending you in opposing ways? It's like the two mag uh, two magnets polarized against each other, like pushing apart. How do you transform that into an opportunity? Well, you do with mindset, first of all. And it, it because, again, I, I refer back to this whole idea of me being raised to fear things. So you fear and avoid, fear and avoid. It's tough when you've been conditioned that way, but I'm a living example that it's not impossible to start changing your mindset and shifting it. And the first thing I ask people to do is to assume a positive outcome. And this isn't me being all merry sunshine, but envision. Imagine what a positive outcome could be, looking at it as an opportunity. So when I say conflict, I'll back up even further and say conflict to me is simply when there is disagreement, any instance of disagreement. It doesn't have to be a heated conflict. Let's start with the ones that are simply, well, you see it like this. I see it like that. Ah, so instead of the what I call the yeah, but the yeah, but mindset is that Mag By the way, you just used magnet as a wonderful <laughs> metaphor. Thank you for I illustrating that my point. As soon as I said it, yeah, 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 it's great because there's my. You created this amazing image in my mind. Yeah, that's how people view conflict. That's the yeah, but where you say something and I'm not truly listening. I'm not curious. I'm not actively listening. I'm preloading my next yeah, but we can't do that because yeah, but and yeah. I actually do a an improv exercise to prove this point. It's the yeah, but and the yes, and I don't know if anyone has heard of this one. It's great. So we can say, oh, we're planning a party and we go around the circle and everybody has to, your only prerequisite is that you add yeah, but at the end of everything. So, or yes, but if you want to be more grammatically correct. So it might be, well, okay, I, I know that she likes balloons, so let's get balloons. Yeah, but those are environmentally unfriendly. Yeah, but she likes them, so we should get them and we can afford them. Yeah, but, and by the end of it, we have nothing but an argument. Whereas, okay, I'll start the same exercise with the same first statement on balloons, and I'll say your only prerequisite here is to begin your sentence with yes and. So then it's yes and we can maybe find some environmental solutions for this. Maybe there are environmentally friendly balloons. Yes and. Now we've moved on to something else. Yes and we can get the band she likes. Yes and we do need to be mindful of the noise, of the volume. For the instead of yeah, but it's going to be too loud, it's yes, and so we are now focused on solutions. So, if you have that yes, and mindset, that helps. Assuming a positive outcome will help you become more curious. You can do that double click exercise within this. So, instead of the, the head shake, no, 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 you're wrong, to say, aha, 
I I might even say I I hear you, and I might and not just say it superficially, but I understand what you're saying, and I might give you a sentence to show you that I understand what you're saying, and I will say and and I'm, I want to challenge that, as opposed to yeah, but you're wrong. And I've actually heard people shut people down. Wrong, <laughs> wrong, wrong. You're wrong. And I will say, and I think that's very authentic to say, I'm going to challenge that. I believe something completely different. And here's why I want you to. And so I'm going to take you with me as opposed to resisting that magnet metaphor you talked about. It's more, let's turn the, the poles around here. And actually, even though we might still disagree, that's okay. Disagreement. Mm. And, and I also ask people to say, to think to themselves, think of, of any great thing they've ever accomplished. Did you accomplish it without any kind of conflict? If you did, I'd love to hear from you. Through conflict comes great stuff, for lack of a better term. That's what I truly believe. And if I think back to everything I've accomplished, there has been tremendous conflict. You and I have talked about that, the fall flat on your mm. face. If you didn't have that kind of conflict, either within yourself or with someone else, would you truly have achieved what you have achieved and feel the way you do about it? And the answer I say is no. It's uh, what we appreciate more in life the things we have to work harder for. <laughs> it's so true. Yeah, we do. I mean, yeah, it comes down to that in part for sure. For sure. Yeah. Would that maybe also be a good opportunity to do the reflecting back the words thing that you talked that about? That double well? click. Yes. I was saying yeah. that's a great thing to do is where you say, okay, yeah, because we can learn more. The more we listen, the more intel we get. So you might be, I might just assume you don't want to do this because of time, but the more I double click and say, ah, it sounds like you're concerned more about something else. Maybe it's not time. Maybe it's, ah, oh, it's resources. Is that right? Yes. And it has the added benefit of you feeling heard and people like to feel heard. So you'll, yes, thank you for listening to me. And then I might even change my mind. Who knows? But we're going to come to a, a better resolution all around if we listen to each other and we assume a positive outcome. I feel like it's time to burst into a chorus of I'd like to teach the world to sing in, in perfect harmony. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's No, I'm not going to do it. It's too early here in Toronto. But, <laughs> Let, let's not, I'm not going to subject people to no, my singing. But yeah, it, it, but this I is love all that. about. Yeah, it's all about moving more towards unity yes, and harmony yeah. than, than to, to conflict and, and apart. Yeah. 100%. Yes. I like that. Uh, if we can do that in, in more parts of life and the world, not in just in business. Every or in part of life. Yes. Every that's what I love about life. the work I do. You can apply it to everything. And I do. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. As we start to unfortunately wrap up our conversation, which has been so much fun, mm -hmm. I want to ask how can people come and find out more about you and, and connect with you? Yes. Well, they can find me on my good old fashioned website. It's rockstarcommunications.ca. That's the company I formed at the beginning of the pandemic. And rockstar underscore communications on uh, Insta is the first place to go, I would say. And you can find out what I'm up to. Yes, I have that YouTube channel. And me being completely authentic and honest, I'll tell you, I haven't updated it in a while. But uh, I do welcome your suggestions <laughs> for upcoming topics. Things have been so busy with Rockstar that... Uh, that I've taken a bit of a break from that. But yeah, find me on the uh, website, drop me a line, and I would uh, love to sign you up for the, the newsletter that I send out with, with these gems and more. See, there's my broadcast voice, Johnny. <laughs> I mean, I, but I, wait, there's one more. Of the things, it's one of the things that has really stood out for me is that you, you are a delight to listen to. You've got uh, such a great voice. Oh, thank you. And 
<laughs> it's deep. Yeah, yeah. It's for sure. It's yeah, it's, it's great to have a, a kind of voice that people want to listen to. Some some sometimes I get feedback from listeners that they love hearing my voice. It's like you know, it's I, a lovely I, voice I, too. Thank you. Yes. I, I have a, a, a face and a voice for radio. Oh, stop. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you don't. I've but heard that one. You don't insist, fit. I, I insist, keep insisting on doing video stuff as well, just because it's like, so now it's like I, I have to look at me. So, oh, so yeah. <laughs> Whatever. No, I think it's fantastic. And it's, you know, I love the visual medium, but it certainly, it just makes it, it brings such a, a fabulous dimension to communication. Yeah, so no, I'm, I'm sure I'm it'll never go back. away. And I hope it never does. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I think I only really had that sort of level of self-consciousness when I first started. So I, I jest. I, yes, I it's, yes. Uh, it's not so bad. But I do always like to ask my guests for some book recommendations. Yes. So yes. what would you... The last business-type book that I read that I loved was Trailblazer, Mark Benioff. That's a really good one. If you are starting your own business as an entrepreneur, it's a really, it's got some fabulous gems. And it's very much consistent with what I've been talking about in terms of reaching hearts and minds and being human and being authentic. Uh, so that's a good one. And then an old favorite of mine is Loving What Is, Byron Katie. It's a bit more of a spiritual, has a bit more of a spiritual bend. The whole idea of, and it's very consistent with what I like to say to my clients, which is don't should all over yourself. It's a terrible expression, but it'll stay with you. People <laughs> saying, I should do this. I should have done that. He should be like this. She should get the work done. And it's really about you shouldn't because you didn't. And accepting, moving into a place of acceptance of what exists, which is also consistent with the double click. Oh, really? That's great. Tell me more about that. And it mm. brings you to a more present place in your life and in your work. And again, I highly recommend doing what she calls the work in the book. Yeah. 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 And li regular listeners to this show will know I'm not a particularly spiritual kind of person. Mm -hmm. But I will say I have loved Byron Katie's stuff. Oh, good. So you're familiar. I got a lot yes. from it. Yeah, yeah. I am, I yeah, am familiar. And I think that's a, yeah. It's a great recommendation. In fact, I think you are the first person to recommend uh -huh. her on, on this show. So there you uh, go. I appreciate you for that. Yeah. I think she's great. She I love is. what she does. She, she's amazing. Fantastic. It has been a real pleasure to speak to you today. Thank and you. Pleasure to talk so to you. So much fun as yes. well. I, I hope maybe we can get you back again in the future and talk about even more wonderful things under the sun. I would love that. Thank you. Thank you so much, Alyssa Lansdell, for coming and being my guest on Speaking Influence. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed the show. If you did, please consider joining us again for more shows in the future. And if you particularly enjoyed this episode, I invite you to share it out with your friends. You know, the, the show comes to you for free, but we do ask that the price of listening to the show and enjoying it is that you share the fun, share the enjoyment and the lessons from it with other people. I also think if you really like this show, you'd probably really love to check out one of my much earlier episodes with the incredible storyteller, Matthew Dix. It was a two-parter episode and Matthew was a multiple winner of the Moth Story Slam and even the Grand Slam competitions, which are storytelling competitions in the US. He is an amazing storyteller who has written amazing books and a particularly an amazing book about storytelling. And that is a show that is well worth checking out from the vaults. I'll put a link in the show notes for anyone who wants to take a look please also remember to check out our sponsors Brandface because if you have a personal brand business and you're wanting to get in front of the right market in the right way then Brandface are the people to help you 
Coming up soon, you'll be able to check out my conversation with Robert Raymond Riopelle. Robert is an amazing speaker and presenter. We had an incredible, surprising connection that we didn't even know about when we first spoke. I also will be having episodes with people like Jodie Krangle, who is a professional voiceover artist and also a professional podcaster, and Nancy Jutton, who has some amazing insights into networking and building a fantastic and strong network. I look forward to seeing you again on another episode very soon. Whatever you're doing, wherever you're going, have an amazing rest of your day. Go and make great things happen.